So yeah, it's great to see everybody this morning. Good to see a few people coming back after going away for a few weeks and a few people who've been away for a while. So it's absolutely fantastic to see you. Let me just check where my slides are. There we go. Okay. So today we're going to look at God's generosity and we're going to do that through um, a parable, um, a perspective of Matthew 21 to 16, which is the parable of the workers in the vineyard. Um, now, in a couple of seconds, Terry's going to come up and read that passage. Um, but today, if you can make sure you're listening particularly careful, carefully, because we're going to do a quiz today, a short quiz. We're going to pit this side against this side. I don't know how many people are on each side, but hopefully you have an equal chance. Now, if you want to do particularly well, you might be well opening up um, Matthew 21 to 16 in your Bible or on, on an app. Um, and uh, we, I'm going to be reading from, or Terry's going to be reading from the NIV version. So the answers will kind of be from the NIV version. So if you make sure that works. But there's going to be five questions and we'll see who does best. And there is a prize. There is a prize. So it's worth, it's worth winning. I'd ask you to look out the details, just things like times of day and hours of the day and amounts and stuff like that, and you should do quite well. So let's see who, who, who wins. Um, so um, Terry's going to come up now and just read that passage. So I think we'll do it with raised hands just so that it doesn't kind of go into chaos. It might still go into chaos, but we'll try our best. So the first question from that passage is, not that one, it's where were the people in the story working? So anybody? Oh, Alison, we have an answer. 
in the vineyard. That's correct. One nil. Step it up, guys. Step it up. Come on. You, you can beat them. You can beat them. They're good, but you can beat them. What period of the day were the first workers called? <laughs> oh, I don't, I'm not sure if I should accept that because your hand wasn't up. Early morning. That was correct. That was correct. Sorry, Mark. You were just behind there, so uh, I, think, uh, I think that's fair enough. So it's 1-1. One, one. Better start moving these on. Uh, where did the master of the house, or, or the vineyard owner, find workers standing idle? <gasps> Tony. Mark Vest is correct. 2-1. They've come from behind. This is really, really exciting. Okay. <laughs> no, it really is. It honestly is. Really exciting. At uh, what hour were the last workers hired? Five o'clock. Ooh, it's 2-2. Two, two. Here we go. You can, you can win. You can win. You can win. So here we go. Last one. How much was everyone paid at the end of the day? I think Brown was tiny. Just a fraction ahead of you, Alison. I was watching. What? Oh, Denaris. Yes, that's right. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Woo. Give yourself a clap. Give yourself a clap. For victory. Victory is assured. Brown always seems to win competitions. It's, it's, it's just crazy. So, here we go. Prize. 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 So, you've, there you go. You take one. You take one, Alison. And you take one. There you go. And if you could pass them around, starting with these people first and then over to, to them. That would be good. Now, you might wonder why you won and I gave them the prize first. That's weird, isn't it? How strange. <laughs> and thankfully you weren't all fighting for it because it shows you must be really good Christians. Because you weren't like these people in the parable who were, who were upset about not being paid first. So that's very good. Well done. So really, that was just done to raise your awareness of kind of how we think. Generally, if we have a competition, we have two teams pitting themselves against each other, you would think that the team that wins would get the prize first. Yeah, so, but in this case, it goes to the losing team. Sorry, losing team. You're not losers, but everyone's winners. So it's going to them first, okay? But this is kind of different to how we think in life. It's generally not how we think. When we go to school, from early school all the way through, and when we go to work, we're kind of conditioned to believe that if you work hard for something, or if you answer all the questions correctly, or if your brain can accept loads of information and then regurgitate it out and remember it, that you're going to get a better reward. You're going to be rewarded better for that. It's kind of natural for us to think. And it is something that we learn at school and we learn at work, that if you come into work early, you, you maybe get paid more, you get promotion, that sort of thing. But what happens if that wasn't the case? What if we all get the same reward regardless? Is that kind of okay with us? Or does it take the joy out of it a little bit for us? Um, do we like to be, you know, some people are competitive. I, I admit that I'm quite competitive as well. Sometimes you like to win. But what happens if everybody gets the reward? Are we happy with that? And I believe that's what the parable is teaching us. But um, let's take a closer look. So just for context on this story, um, Jesus is telling this parable to the disciples, um, having just been speaking to large crowds who followed him into Judea, and he's been doing healings. And so there may be people in that crowd still listening in at the same time as the disciples. But the primary audience is the disciples. And this isn't long before Jesus' final Passover. It's not long before he goes into um, Jerusalem for the last time and not long before he's crucified. So it's towards the end of his ministry. And just for more context, um, although it's in the, um, 
in the chapter before, just before sort of telling this parable, Jesus has been explaining to the disciples that many who appear materially rich in this world will be last in the kingdom of God, and many who give up things in his name um, will be first in the kingdom of God. But almost to make sure that they understand that he's not saying that salvation is for people who work harder, who give up more. You know, it's not a case that you have to become incredibly poor to get to the kingdom of heaven, or if you're rich, then it's, you can't get there. I mean, he did say many people anyway, he didn't say all people. But to make sure that the disciples don't get this feeling of self-righteousness, that because they made big sacrifices, it doesn't make them better than anyone else, Jesus balances it out with this parable of the workers in the vineyard. So let's read through it again, and let's just break that down. So, he begins in verse 1 and 2. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and sent them out into his vineyard. So, this is very relevant to the people that he's talking to, the disciples and anyone else who might be listening. um, Because in Jesus' time, people would go to the market square to be ready for work and be hired by people who would come and select workers from the market square. And they'd be paid at the end of the day as per Mosaic law. And the common rate of pay was a denarius a day. So this is accurate and relevant for the people who are listening. But of course it's also a parable, and that means that there's a moral to the story and a parallel meaning. But what is that parallel meaning? Well, firstly we're told, he says, for the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning. So this is going to be about what the kingdom of heaven is, and how the kingdom of heaven works, and how God's thinking works compared to human thinking. Um, I think most observers would agree that the landowner represents God, and this is backed up by similar parables that uh, Jesus tells. And the workers that he calls represent his people, people who are called to become Christians, people who are called to follow him and have faith in him. So, verses 3 to 5 read, About nine in the morning he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. He told them, You also go and work in my vineyard, and I will pay you whatever is right. So they went. He went out around noon and about three in the afternoon and he did the same. So as you can see, there's obviously a lot of work to do because the landowner decides he needs more workers. So he goes out and gets more. But on this occasion, the subtle difference is you'll notice that they don't agree a fee here. So the initial workers, they went out and they were told exactly what we were going to get for work in the full day. These guys, they don't get that. But the landowner needs to be trusted because he says, I'll pay you whatever is right. So it requires faith from those people who he's employing now that they're going to get paid a fair wage. Notice also that the landowner, he doesn't ask them to go and work in the vineyard. He actually commands them. He says, you will also come and work in my vineyard. And it's not their decision to make. So it's kind of like us when we accept Christ. We're we're making a decision ourselves. But at the end of the day, we were chosen by God. So, you know but we still have to be obedient. And that's exactly what these people do. They come out and they work in the vineyard as God commands. Okay, so verses 6 and 7. About 5 in the afternoon, the landowner went out and found still others standing around, and he asked them, why have you been standing around all day doing nothing? Because no one hired us, they answered. He said to them, you also go and work in my vineyard. So even at the 11th hour of the Jewish day, you may have heard the phrase, you know, oh, it happened at the 11th hour. It's like supposed to be very late in a time period. This is 5 p.m. There's only about an hour to work. And these people have been hired just at the very, very end of the day. But as the conversation goes with the landowner, he discovers that it's not because they're lazy. It's not because they've just been standing around and didn't want to do anything all day. Um, they've just not been chosen. They've not been hired. 
It's not stated why. Maybe they weren't the first pick, but we don't, we don't really know. But the key thing is that they answered the call when they got the chance. And on this occasion, not only the landowner didn't even tell them he would pay what he was, was right. They basically went and did it, knowing that they'd probably not get very much, but they went and did it anyway. So that requires even more sort of faith, perhaps, you could say. Okay, so verses 8 to 12. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, Call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and going on to the first. The workers who were hired about five in the afternoon came and each received a denarius. So when those who came who were hired first, they expected to receive more, but each one of them also received a denarius. When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. Those who were hired last worked only one hour, they said, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. So they got what they agreed to work for. They got a denarius. So you would have thought they'd be happy. Um, But of course they weren't happy. And I think we can kind of relate to that. We can understand that if we went to work for a day and somebody turned up at the last minute and got paid the same, we'd probably grumble. Of course, if they hadn't known about it, they wouldn't have grumbled. They would have been quite happy with what they were paid because it was what they agreed to work for. But knowing that others had worked less was kind of annoying to them. And I think we'd relate to that if it happened in our jobs or lives. They think it's unjust, and that's easy to understand because it flies in the face of human logic. But the landowner, being God, tries to explain that actually that isn't the case in his kingdom. But he answered one of them, I'm not being unfair to you, friend. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the one who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous? So the last will be first and the first will be last. So what Jesus is saying in this passage, I believe, is that our perception of justice and how his grace should work is a bit off. Um, God has the right to do with his grace what he wants. Um, And while mankind on occasion might feel that's unjust, because we believe that only the best people go to, to heaven, or people who work hard might go to heaven, that's not actually the case, because God is generous, God is forgiving, and he rewards people based on something different than the outside appearance that we might take as being the thing that is important. Um, So we should celebrate, basically, when somebody comes to God. And I think a lot of us do. Um, I think probably most of us would celebrate when somebody comes to God, whether they're accepting him at the last minute or whether they're accepting him early in their lives. Note particularly the last line. So the last will be first and the first will be last. So is this Jesus literally trying to promote a new way of agriculture where people who come at the end of the day and only work an hour get paid the same as those who start? I don't think that's the case. I don't think it's that literal. And is he symbolically saying, if you arrive less in my, in, as a Christian in late in life, that you're going to be get your reward quicker than those who've been working throughout their lives, who've been Christians all their lives? Well, no, I don't believe he's telling us either of those things. I think he's simply putting across the fact that mankind's idea of a league table of who goes to heaven is very different to his view of who goes to heaven. And if we look at it through the eyes of our human perspective, thinking those who work hardest and are better people or are more worthy in our eyes are top of God's list, then there's going to be a few surprises in heaven. We're maybe not going to be seeing people who we expect to see there. We'll maybe see people there who we thought, how are they here? But God sees the heart and he sees the faith and he often sees it different than we would. 
I think Jesus is saying, you know the ones you think will be more, more worthy in the kingdom of God, those who answered my call early in life, or famous preachers, or those who seem to work harder? Well, in God's kingdom, they're going to earn the same reward as those who came at the last minute. You know, there might be weak people, it might be people who were unwanted, it might be people who were awful in their life up to the point that they converted. But through their faith, they are saved. The thief on the cross is a great example, obviously, of somebody who at the very, very last minute accepted God into his heart, accepted that Jesus um, was the Son of God, that he was God. And he deserves the same reward as all those disciples, all those people who follow Jesus. Jesus is basically illustrating how his generosity works. Um, How he chooses to give that out is right and it is just, even if it doesn't make sense to us. We also have to understand that the prime audience here, the disciples, were Jewish. So to them and to the whole Jewish people, perhaps Jesus is giving a sort of an idea of the fact that very soon lots of people who they consider to be very unworthy in Jewish society and many people who they particularly feel are unworthy, i.e. Gentiles, are going to come along having then worked for generations, supposedly, because they thought they were working their way to salvation. They were basing their sort of works on how righteous they were, and that was the way their system worked. They were going to have to get used to the fact that actually God's generosity was going to extend to other people. And it was actually going to extend, and Jesus was reaching out to all the Jewish people and all the Gentile people, all those people who were the lowest in society, who people wouldn't touch, who wouldn't go near, the lepers, the prostitutes, the tax collectors, all those people were people that Jesus wanted to bring in. And yet this was countercultural to how the Jewish people would see it, and, and it would appear wrong that Jesus was reaching out to these people and actually criticising those who society called worthy. And perhaps the parable of the workers in the vineyard can also teach us something about the relationship between faith and natural works because I don't think it's an accident that Jesus in a lot of his parables refers to his people as workers in a vineyard or in a field or anything like that because we are his representatives on earth. When we become Christians, we are given a great commission to go out and tell people about God and we're expected to show love to one another through the Holy Spirit, guided by the Holy Spirit, to reach out and love others more than ourselves and to reach out and tell people about Jesus, about the great news we have. As Jesus had explained early in Matthew uh, 9.37 where he saw great crowds of people, he, he saw, he, 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 was, he was very emotional about it because he saw so many people who needed him, who needed his grace, who needed his help, who needed to be reached out to and they were desperate and they didn't even know that they were in trouble. But he said, the harvest is plentiful but the workers are few. He could see there was this huge harvest of souls ready to accept him. But they didn't have enough people, enough disciples, enough followers to go and tell them that news and to reach out to them. And so we're not here to sit around, having been saved, and just laze around and feel happy with ourselves. We're here to reach out to people. So in that case, we are God's workers. Um, But despite that, as we know, we're saved by faith. We're not saved by that work in the fields. We should work for Jesus with gratitude through our appreciation of what he's done for us. Because unlike those workers in the vineyard who were paid at the end of the day and had to wait for their pay, um, as Martin said, it's been paid in full. Everything has been paid in full. It was paid in full on the cross. So we definitely don't need to feel envious when somebody else comes to God, if they come at the last moment or if we consider them to be such a bad person that maybe they didn't deserve it. 
And I don't think that we do generally think that. I think loads of us would totally understand that we, we would absolutely adore for our families, for our friends, for people we love, um, even for people we don't even know to come to God at whatever time in their life. If it's the last minute, that's absolutely fantastic. And the fact they get the same reward as us is absolutely brilliant. And we do absolutely love that. But sometimes, as I said, God's decisions can surprise us. Sometimes they can be quite challenging. You know, you might see a somebody who's a mass murderer. He might have caused havoc to people's lives, killed loads of people. And then on his deathbed, if he genuinely, genuinely comes to Christ, then he's saved through his faith. And that might be challenging to us. We may feel that that's unfair. But also we know that it's not our works that get us into heaven. It's not our previous lives that will get us into heaven. It's not how good we are that will get us into heaven. It's our faith. And thankfully, God thinks like that. Because if it wasn't for that, then Moses and Paul, for two examples, would not be in heaven because they kill people. But through their faith... Through their faith, they're saved. And through our faith, we're saved. And we should be extremely grateful for that. In fact, you could say those workers in the vineyard who came late were showing more faith than those who started. You know, because the ones who started, they knew exactly what they were going to get early on. And in some ways, when we came to faith, we probably, as we learned about Jesus, we knew what our reward was. So it's easier to work that way than it is sometimes if you're doing it through faith without knowing what the payment is. I mean, the thief on the cross, I think, is a good example because I'm not sure that he knew when he accepted Jesus as God. I doubt he knew what his reward was there. But he still accepted, you are the Son of God, you are the Messiah. And that was enough for him. It was just his faith and that he believed that mattered. But even God's most faithful can fall into the trap of selfishness. And ironically, God's people, including his disciples, um, often forgot and fell back into this way of thinking like the world. And ironically, and sadly, straight after this parable of the workers in the vineyard is told, we hear, it might not be immediately after this happened, but in the next verses of the chapter, we hear that two of his disciples um, and their mum have gone up to Jesus to lobby him for the best seats in heaven. You know? So even his disciples kind of missed the point and were thinking in this human way and wanting kind of a better reward. So um, sometimes I think as people, we generally don't get it. You might hear this today and then we might immediately lapse and when we go home and go back into that competitive spirit of, of, of you know, bemoaning something ourselves. And sometimes other biblical characters were challenged by God's generosity and begrudged others. And Jonah is a good example. He was sent on a mission to Nineveh, a city which was very, very full of evil and, um, you know, a den of iniquity, as we call it. Um, And his job was to warn them that if they didn't change their ways, then destruction would come to the city. Okay. Now, initially, Jonah didn't want to take that mission, so he ran away from that mission until God threw him back on track through a whale. So a very, um, very innovative way to get him to Nineveh. But, so he put him back on track and he made him give this, this ultimatum. And it did turn out that the people of Nineveh repented of what they were doing and corrected themselves and the city wasn't destroyed. Now you'd think Jonah would be happy about this. But the reason he didn't want to take that mission in the first place, he admits after this, the reason he didn't want to go there was because he knew that the city might repent. And if they repented, that God, through his generosity and through his grace, 
would forgive the city of Nineveh and wouldn't destroy it. And this was abhorrent to him. He was like, these people are evil. Why, why, aren't, you, why aren't you killing these people? Why aren't you destroying the city? And I think sometimes, you know, as humans, we can set a bar when somebody's gone too far, when a city or a, a society has gone too far, that maybe they don't deserve to be saved. But that's not, the, that's not the case. Jonah and anyone who thinks like that is forgetting the fact that God gave us that same forgiveness and that we don't deserve it at all, that we are sinners, that Jonah was a sinner and that he benefited from God's generosity. So, you know, just like um, Jonah, we need to just remember instead that even when those cities that we might believe are dens of iniquity are saved, that this is a joyful thing for us. And like the workers in the vineyard, we have no right to grumble. Um, None of us deserve the generosity that God has shown us. We are all sinners saved by grace and grace alone. And aren't we historically, though we're not the ones that Jesus was speaking to at that time, it was a message out to the disciples and to the Jewish people, aren't we the ones also called very much at the 11th hour? Because certainly, as I said earlier, to Jesus even in that time, to the disciples in that time, the Gentiles being grafted onto the tree of life, that would have seemed like the very much the 11th hour for the Jewish people. They would have thought, these people have come very late, they shouldn't be within our kingdom, within your kingdom, God it was something that they might find offensive. And to think that Jesus would then have the audacity to criticise the priests and those people who thought they were more worthy and to tell them that they were doing things wrong and to reach out to tax collectors and thieves and the people that they would think were the dregs of society was, was offensive. Jesus even mentioned that Gentiles were like dogs looking for scraps on the table. You know, we weren't the highest, so we are, in a way, the people who are most unlikely, the people that called at the 11th hour. They've been trying to work their way to heaven for years through the law, without success. Um, So the idea that prostitutes and tax collectors would be equal or better to them was bad enough. I mean, in Matthew 21, just a bit later, if you do a bit of reading around this, when you go home, Jesus also mentions about the first being last and the last being first. And in that instance, he's talking to the priests and the scribes, um, and he's explaining to them that through their faith, through the fact that the tax collectors and the prostitutes in society accepted the word of John the Baptist, that Jesus was the Messiah, and then accepted that Jesus was the Son of God and their, their promised Saviour, those tax, those tax collectors and those prostitutes were ahead of the scribes and the priests in the queue to the kingdom of heaven. So it was very difficult for them to take, but it's really a picture of the fact that it is not by works, but it's by faith that we are saved, and we should be really, really grateful for that. Praise God for it, because if you think if the world was choosing a guest list, list to heaven... I don't think we'd be on it. In fact, the first part of it would be filled up with people who'd got the VIP seats and paid all the money for it. And then there'd be loads of people who'd done great deeds and loads of top politicians and historical characters. They'd all be up there, of course. And the top preachers, they'd all be up there. But thankfully, God doesn't see that because, you know, from our point of view, if God did work like that, we wouldn't be anywhere near that list. But God chose us. He chose us before the world began. I mean, it's crazy. It's crazy to think of it. It's illogical, you know, how we deserve that. We're broken people, and yet God chose us. And thankfully, he chose it based on our faith, on nothing else but our faith. So I believe there is a real relevant message here for us, as much as there was for the disciples and anyone listening to Jesus on that day. 
and it will stop thinking like the world. In God's eyes, it's not about works and about how good you look. It's not about the exterior. It's about your faith, and it's about what's on the inside, the things you do in secret, the things you do that people don't see. And the other message is that God rewards us with the same prize, but that he reads the heart. He sees the hidden. It's not about what's seen. It's not about how impressive we are, how intelligent we are, or how long we worked, how much we, we went through the scriptures day by day. It's about whether it settles in our heart. It's about whether we have faith. So whatever time you came to God in your life, be happy to know that the reward is amazing. It's better than the little chocolates I gave out today. <laughs> Considerably better than that. It's amazing. It's eternal life with God. It's incredible. can't be taken away. It's an amazing reward and it's free for everybody. I think most of all this parable is a reminder that God is to free, out, free to give out his grace how he chooses, even if that doesn't make sense to us. He is generous. He gives freely. And we need to rejoice in that because if he didn't do that, we would not have a hope. So it's about God's amazing generosity. Thankfully, he doesn't reward length of service or pick the best CVs or reward us for our works. Um, it's our faith and the fact we answered his call to be his workers, to be his representatives on earth, that means we all get to share in that same reward as everybody else. Oops, I think that's wrong. So yeah, there's that verse, which isn't in the, the, the parable itself, in Matthew 9:37. You know, we need to be joyful workers in God's harvest, every one of us. Um, because while this was given to the Jewish disciples primarily, this is part of God-breathed scripture. So it is relevant to us as well. It has a meaning for us. And when we look out now, the fact that we are kind of at, possibly at the 11th hour, that the end is at some point approaching, don't know when, we have to look out on that harvest field that Jesus is talking about. That harvest of souls, that harvest of people who are desperate for something and they're looking absolutely everywhere but Jesus to find it. Maybe they've even been given a false impression of who Jesus is and what it means to be a Christian, so that's put them off. Or maybe they're looking towards spiritualism or Buddhism or Reiki or all these things that they could go towards or even things totally unrelated. You know, looking towards things that gratify them in life um, and things that are never going to satisfy them or make them happy. And they know that there's, a, there's something that's missing in their lives, but they don't know what it is. And as those little shoots of faith are coming up, of possibly people wanting to know God, all the weeds and all the dirt and the pollution in this world, and all the, they're, they're being battered by these awful forces. And they need somebody to come and tell them about God. They need somebody to tell them about Jesus. And we're people who know about Jesus. We're people who know that you're saved by faith, not works. We're people who know what it is to be Christians. We know what God has done for us and what he has assured for us in heaven. So we do have a job to do. We do need to be workers in the vineyard. We need to be there to tell people and to make sure that that harvest doesn't rot and doesn't decay and doesn't get overcome with weeds, but instead that it rises up and it's harvest, harvested. Because there is a massive, massive need in this world now as much as there ever has been, if not more. I mean, wouldn't we love to see this place like bursting at the seams, just to have to move to somewhere bigger? Or for people in this town just to get a love of God, whatever church they might go to, to get a love of the real Jesus. Wouldn't we love that? Wouldn't we love people in Ireland to 
to come to God and to know God and know who God is, to turn away from that sort of religious view of God that they may have had when they were growing up or that thing that's turned them away from God that we really know Jesus. But no one else is going to do that apart from God's people, his workers on earth. We need to do it. We need to do it with our friends, with our family, with people we don't know, in whatever way we want. It's not just about going out and telling people on the streets. It's not just about... It can be done in many subtle ways and easy ways that you can get out and reach out to people you know, people you love, people in your workplace, at any opportunities. Um, A member of our congregation, she wouldn't want me to mention, but um, she, for instance, told um, a member of uh, the paramedics who were helping her out this week about God. It's just a simple way. When we get opportunities, pray for God to give you opportunities to get out there and tell people. Um, and though that's not particularly related to the parable I've been talking about, because it's, it's sort of an extra thing, it's from Matthew 9:37. it's still relevant as a result of, of what I've been talking about today. So let's go out and do it. Let's tell people about God. Let's be God's workers. And let's not grumble. Let's just do it, do it knowing that he's paid us in full up front.